the Collect Call. This podcast is an offering of the Acts 8 moment, proclaiming resurrection in the Episcopal Church. My name is Holly Powell, and I'm a layperson and a member of church... <laughs> a member of hair? A member of Christ Church Cathedral in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Brendan O'Sullivan-Hale, and I'm also a layperson, and I'm a member of the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we are thrilled to have back with us this week, Dave Hedges. Dave, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Dave Hedges, and I am a priest, and I'm the rector of St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Sycamore, Illinois, in the Diocese of Chicago. And as of uh, August 14th, uh, I am also a postulant to the Brotherhood of St. Gregory. Which will become uh, particularly uh, relevant to this episode, as we will see. This podcast is about the intersection of liturgy and life, as seen through the lens of the Collects in the Book of Common Prayer. Now, Collect is kind of a funny-sounding word, but actually it's just another word for prayer, and it's spelled like collect, as in, you might collect stuffed animals in the image of monk seals, including (laughs) Umo, the Hawaiian monk seal, Speckles, the monk seal, and the American Girl Hawaiian monk seal for Kanani doll of 2011. Is that a thing that exists? A monk seal? It is. An American girl monk seal? No, so it's a monk seal who I think is supposed to be a compatriot of an American girl. And it says that it's the, you know, that it's of 2011. So maybe she gets a new, a new compatriot every year. So some years it's a monk seal and some years like a sea turtle. I can talk about this. Kanani Kanani was the... American Girl of the Year in 2011. So oh. every every year, there there are the standard girls that you can always buy, and then every year, in an effort to separate millions of parents with their hard-earned hundreds of dollars, they create a Girl of the Year doll that's only available during that year. And so Kanani had a companion monk seal who is a way to separate parents from even more of their money, as well as, I'm sure, a way to raise awareness of monk seals and their issues. And, and the fact that they make such good pets. Indeed. <laughs> monk seals don't have ears, so they're especially good pets, because they cannot hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Holly, cats can hear you, and they're still terrible pets. Yeah, they do not give a sh- <laughs> so there's that. Well, anyway, before we get to the collect, and let's be real, we need to pray. I believe, Brendan, you have something to tell us? Yes. Retraction, retraction, a collect call, retraction, the web demands satisfaction. It's time for another retraction. So, a couple of weeks ago, when we had. Derek Olson on the show, I sort of laid down a bet that I was going to force Holly to make a retraction, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was wrong. Uh-huh. So what we were discussing was collects addressed to persons of the, of the Trinity uh, other than God the Father, because we were doing the prayer of the Holy Eucharist. And we noted that in its original form, it was addressed to God the Son, but that it was revised to be addressed to God the Father for the 1979 prayer book. 
And I asserted that we had already discussed a prayer addressed to God the Son on this podcast in the Collects of the Week, and Holly said that I was wrong, and I said I was going to make her retract that, and instead I am retracting my throwdown. One of the greatest moments of my life is that <laughs> we were having that discussion with Derek Olson, who I believe sided with you, Brendan. And if I can <laughs> be right about a thing in the face of you two very knowledgeable individuals, that is a, a day that will live in infamy, truly. <laughs> uh, well, yes. To, to yeah. complicate matters further, this week's collect is addressed to God the Son. Yes, but it's not a collect of the week. It's in the prayers and thanksgiving section. Oh, it's, that's true. It's not, a, it's not a seasonal collect. You are correct. Right, right. Yeah. No, so that, that's the problem. I would have been right if I had just said we had talked about it on the show because I'm pretty sure we have talked about another one addressed to God the Son, uh, but uh, I said specifically Collect of the Week, and those are all addressed to God the Father. Retraction, retraction. <laughs> well, thank you, Brendan. I will try my best not to lord that over you for any more than, like, a year or two. <laughs> So I have a question, which is, have you ever done a prayer before, which is in the general prayers and thanksgiving section, which begins on page 810 of the prayer book? We have, and in fact, Dave, you were present for one of those shows. Oh, that's right. It was the prayer, after, the prayer for after worship. Or after, after worship. Yes. Well, I just wanted yes. to highlight this section of the prayer book because – it's fantastic. It is just a marvelous and wonderful chunk of the prayer book that many people are just not familiar with. There's so many prayers, which I find so useful. I would be remiss if I did not point out that many of them are not actually collects. They don't have collect form to them, but this one does. So we can talk about it on this show. Yeah, we have talked about non-collect prayers before. It's just not our druthers, if you will. Right. I'm just saying, everybody out there in podcast land, if you've never looked at the prayers and thanksgivings, which begin on page 810 of your prayer book, go dig it out when you're done listening, because there's some amazing stuff in here. Given that you're saying this to the listeners of a podcast about prayer, you're probably preaching to the choir, but I concur. <laughs> it's true. So this one is the Prayer for Monastic Orders and Vocations, which can be found on page 819. Dave, will you do us the honor? I'd love to. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, you became poor for our sake, that we might be made rich through your poverty. Guide and sanctify, we pray, those whom you call to follow you under the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, that by their prayer and service they may enrich your church, and by their life and worship may glorify your name. For you reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 We selected this prayer for a particular reason. As Brendan mentioned in the beginning of the show, that reason is that our friend Dave here has recently become, what, what's the word? Not affiliated. Postulant. Postulated. 
you have you have compostulated with the Brotherhood of Saint Gregory. That's correct. Tell us about that. Well, many folks are familiar with monastic orders, re- religious orders in the church, and there is a similar but different category of organizations in the church called Christian communities, that's what they're called in the canons of the Episcopal Church, where monastic orders, religious orders, have three major characteristics. They follow a common rule of life, um, they hold all of their property in common, which generally means they live together, and they take a vow of celibacy, which means that they, they agree not to marry. Uh, Christian communities have the first characteristic, which is that they follow a common rule of life, but they are not required to be celibate orders, and they are not required to hold all their property in common. So what that means is that the Christian community category is much more flexible. Uh, In the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, we have a rule of life which we follow, and we support each other in that rule of life, but we don't live together. We live all over the place. Um, There are brothers all over this country in uh, just about every province of the country, Um, and we even have a brother in the Philippines and a brother in Australia. So it's an, it's an interesting community because it's dispersed. It's intentionally dispersed throughout the church. And then twice a year, the community gathers for about a week each in what's called the convocation, where we come together, uh, spend time together, pray, worship, do some retreat time with a retreat leader, and generally build up the life of the community by being together. I attended my first convocation last week. I was invited after some sort of initial discernment work to come to the convocation and participate. And I was invited at the end of that, having sort of experienced community life, to become a postulant. And I said, yes, I would like to be a postulant. What does being a postulant mean? Being a postulant means that for a year I will be trying on the life of the community without being a full member. Trying it out seeing if I like it, but more importantly, seeing not seeing if I like it, but seeing if I believe this is a way of life to which God is calling me. And then after postulancy, those who do believe that this is a way of life to which God is calling them, and when the community agrees, then they move on to being a novice, which is a two-year period of training in how to do it. And then after the end of those two years, then for the first time, brothers take vows. Well, and in fact, you mentioned earlier that you met a member of my church this past week who made his life profession. He did. So after five years of annually renewing your vows, then you take life vows, which is your final profession, and you promise to follow the rule and to live this way for the remainder of your natural life. And it's a very moving and solemn occasion. I found it. there were three brothers who made their life profession, and the emotional power of that act was almost overwhelming. It was profound. Tell us a little bit about how you started to feel called to that kind of community. Okay. I went to Seabury Western Theological Seminary, which in the days that I went there had a very traditional liturgical life uh, that was sort of along the what's called the quasi-monastic seminary model, which means that the seminary community prays the daily office regularly and lives as a little community to itself with its own particular liturgical life as a way of forming the spirituality of the students. And so for three years, I was in an environment where morning and evening prayer were prayed every day, and the Eucharist was celebrated every day uh, in the chapel. And so after seminary, I missed that so much. I missed the daily office, but I had a great deal of difficulty 
actually praying the daily office, actually doing the daily office. And I could sustain it for a week or so, and then it would sort of peter out. And about every six to 12 months, I would try it again. And then it would peter out again, and I would feel guilty and sad. And so... Um, Been there. Yeah. <laughs> Then a couple of years ago, I went to a place called St. Gregory's Abbey in Three Rivers, Michigan, which I mentioned on last week's show. St. Gregory's Abbey is not connected to the Brotherhood of St. Gregory. So the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, the organization I'm joining or trying to join, uh, discerning with, is um, the Christian a Christian community canonically. St. Gregory's Abbey is a religious order or it is a house of a religious order, which is the Order of St. Benedict. Uh, I went to St. Gregory's Abbey, where they pray the Benedictine form of the office, which involves seven services of prayer throughout the day, plus daily Mass. I went there for about three or four days. I prayed with them in the church, each of those seven services plus Mass each day. So like in four days, I went to church like 30 times. When I came home, whatever the barrier was that had kept me from being able to keep the office habit up, that barrier was lifted. And the office, it still requires effort, but suddenly it was possible. Suddenly it just, it, it, it happened for me in a way it hadn't happened before. And so I wanted a way to engage that more deeply. As a married person, I can't join a monastic community in the traditional model, but in the Brotherhood of St. Gregory and most other Christian communities in the Episcopal Church, the members of those communities serve without reference to their marital status. So you can be married, you can be single. I took a look at that, and for a lot of other reasons, it seemed to be the one to go with. I won't bore you with all those details, but it's been a very fruitful journey for me so far. And, you know, one of the chief commitments in this way of life is to pray the daily office. It's been profoundly helpful for me in my life, and I, I want a community of accountability and support around that. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. I, I um, have talked several times before on, on this podcast about my kind of intrigue with the monastic way of life. And we're also going to share links to those in our show notes. So if, if any of our listeners are intrigued, we'll, you can uh, click through to find those links as well as a link to the Brotherhood of St. Gregory. I, before we continue, I want to say that I think it's, it's a, a useful distinction that we should be very clear about that these Christian communities are not monastic communities. They have, they have adapted some of these principles to a different way of life. Um, I, think our, I think relationships between these two kinds of communities are well-maintained, and, and honesty is served well when we're very clear that there is a difference. If, if you want to be a monk, go be a monk. Don't join a don't don't join a Christian community if you really want to join a religious order. They're they're fundamentally different organizations. Well, and I, I think it's interesting that this Christian community movement, for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh, it actually seems to be a reflection of this prayer, uh, because the the prayer, which is a it's a new composition, it was composed for the seventy nine prayer book, talks about. We're asking that monastic orders, by their prayer and service, may enrich your church. And these Christian communities that are adapting monastic practices mm -hmm. uh, to life in the secular world seems like an example of that. Absolutely. It's interesting to me that the, the title of the prayer is for monastic orders and vocations, 
but the text of the prayer itself does not say monastic anywhere in it. It simply says, those whom you call to follow you under the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, which is interesting because there are Christian communities, the Brotherhood of St. Gregory among them, who do sort their vows and commitments into these three categories, poverty, chastity, and obedience. These are very much adapted to life outside a monastery, but they are in those categories. Likewise, there are traditional monastic communities that don't see their vows this way. Um, In the Benedictine order, the vows are considered to be vows of um, poverty, stability, and conversion. I still think it's a well-written prayer, but, you know, it can be a little fuzzy around the edges. And I also think it's interesting, I mean, I think all you're very right that every order is very different, but at least the order I'm most familiar with, the community of the Transfiguration, which is a monastic order for women, uh, headquartered up, up the road for me in Cincinnati, I, I assume that the vow, once you make a life profession and move into the community, uh, the vow is chastity, but many of the Episcopal sisters who live there are either divorced or widowed. Many of them have children, and so obviously um, they haven't always been chaste. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, when you take a vow, it's not retroactive. So, you know, you don't always have to have lived a certain way in order to move forward in a particular direction. I think it's also helpful to point out that we frequently get confused about the definition of chastity and the definition of celibacy. In the strictest and most traditional sense, celibacy refers to abstaining from marriage. We think of celibacy as not having sex, but celibacy actually means not getting married. Within traditional sexual ethics, the assumption is that you don't have sex outside of marriage, so the no sex thing sort of goes along with that, but Celibacy means staying unmarried. Chastity refers not, again, not to not having sex, but to using your sexual desires in a way which is consistent with your state of life, which means if you're married, chastity consists of being sexually faithful to your spouse, and if you are not married, traditional Christian sexual ethics would say that means waiting until you are married to have sex. Interestingly enough, the dictionary disagrees with you there. <laughs> if you look up celibacy in the dictionary, it says uh, of refraining from sexual intercourse. Well, okay. But well, we have we are talking about things that are not in, at all important. So the 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 prayer was written by the Reverend uh, Bono. Uh, Spencer, who was a uh, member of the Order of the Holy Cross. He passed away in 1996. On the Order of the Holy Cross's website is actually a piece that he wrote that talks about what he means by poverty, chastity, and obedience. I'm going to say that his definitions there do seem to agree with Dave. Hmm. Interesting. I think so the Episcopal yeah, I... Church is at war with the dictionary. I think that um, there may be a a particular definition that comes from the church's way of dealing with these issues, and then there may be a sort of a broader definition that has to do with what the world has made of that. So, I am just excited about this war on the dictionary. (laughs) 
awesome. Yeah, Dave Hedges, wrong on the dictionary, wrong for America. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Holly, what does the dictionary have to say about missional? Oh, God. <laughs> Hold, on. <laughs> Hold on, I'll look it up. It says, no word found. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure that... Um, <laughs> I'm sure that there's a definition of the word uh, missional in uh, Webster's New International Dictionary of Mainline Protestant Jargon. <laughs> it, it comes right before nimble. <laughs> yeah, it is actually not at all in the dictionary. Yep, so Episcopal Church at war with Webster. At war. That Webster, I always knew he was a papist. <laughs> I don't know. Anywho, uh, the collect, or the prayer, if you will. No, it, it, is, um, it, it is written in collect form. It is. It is. It yeah. is. Bon L. Spencer did his homework. Yep. It starts out um, with a nice allusion to Second um, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the generous acts of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. I like the refreshing honesty uh, about Jesus and his life here. Uh, people are fond of saying things like, Jesus identified with the poor. To which I say, no, Jesus didn't identify with the poor. Jesus was poor. He was of the working poor of his time. And so... I like it when we can be very clear about that. Indeed. And St. Paul is generally tries to be pretty clear and honest about what he thinks of Jesus. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I was interested in where this uh, little bit of scripture was placed because, um, you know, we did not have monastic orders uh, as we think of them today, certainly, during Paul's time. That was a uh, later innovation uh, in Christianity. Uh, but this line uh, that's lifted is from a section where Paul is talking about how Christians are to live in community with one another, uh, including how to include those who are far away within their community as well. So it sort of maybe seems relevant to the life of dispersed Christian communities, but also it, it, even in the traditional context that um, that although traditionally uh, monks and nuns stay, stay at home, stay in their communities, sometimes they go traveling. Um, sometimes they go out in the world. And so, you know, there's a, there's that. And there's also the fact that especially in the Catholic church, you know, most of the orders have, have houses all over the world. And there's a, there's a, a a need for those communities to understand themselves just as you know we do in the wider church as parishes which are connected as one church you know these, these these orders understand themselves as one throughout the world right and you know obviously one of the critiques of monasticism is that you know what are these people doing cloistered and praying what good does that do any anybody mm -hmm. and well, uh, this prayer also is touching on that yeah, that, that brings us back to what Holly sort of pointed out at the beginning, uh, the, the idea that by their prayer and service they may enrich your church. And it's a frequent criticism of, of you know, why would you go sort of shut yourself up in a, in, a, in a house in the middle of nowhere? You know, there are orders that are active, that do ministry of service, that teach or that, uh, you know, work in hospitals or uh, do other kind of justice work. But the contemplative orders 
prayer is their job. It is their is job one. It's it's sometimes difficult for uh, everyday Christians to see the value in that, which is why I really encourage people to visit monasteries if they're able to do so um, and visit convents, make a retreat, go there and see just how much that ministry of prayer and contemplation really does enrich the church. Whether you know it or not, there are people who are spending their lives praying for you. Maybe not by name, but they're praying for you. The, the heart of monastic prayer is the Psalms. In the traditional Benedictine way of doing things, the community will say all of the Psalms every week. And they do that as a way of, of interceding for the whole world. They offer that on their own behalf, but also for the rest of us who don't have the time to pray seven times a day, um, plus Mass. One of the monks at St. Gregory's said to me, there are people for whom this, this kind of prayer is very attractive, but you'd have to be crazy to attempt to live out in the world and, and pray this way. I mean, you would, you would drive yourself mad because you just wouldn't have the time. And because they put prayer at the absolute center and everything else they do revolves around that, and if it doesn't support that prayer, they get rid of it. It really allows them to, as I say, spend their lives praying for you. For my part, I'm really glad that there's people praying for us and for this little podcast. And if you enjoy this podcast, please pray for it and share it with <laughs> the yes. Or write a review on iTunes. And if you would like to pray for more like it after hearing them, uh, you should check out the other podcasts in the Via Media Collective, a network of podcasts with an Anglican sensibility. Find out more at VM Collective on Twitter or at viamediacollective.org. All right, so, so is that mean it's time for the Twitter challenge? It most certainly does. All right, and Dave, um, I assume like last week you will be an impartial observer. No. Oh, you have one? Oh. I, I have one. Yes. All right. Well, pick your place in the order then. I'll go in the middle. I'll go first. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. I'm not great at any of them, but I try. Sort of. Hashtag monastic orders. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. I like that. All right. Mine is monks, nuns, and other religious spend their lives praying for you. Give thanks. Hashtag monasticism. Here's mine. I've outsourced praying seven times a day. That's why I make an annual contribution to St. Gregory's Abbey. (laughs) Brandon wins. (laughs) Oh, I love it. If you would like to send us your tweet about monasticism or let us know your experience with Christian communities or monastic orders, you can find us on Twitter at the Collet Call. Or you can email us for non-Twitterers like Dave at thecollectcall at axeightmoment.org. Or you can find a collection of monk seal things. What was it again? Stuffed animals. Stuffed animals, yes. I couldn't remember if they were all stuffed or some might be ceramic. Anywho, yeah. monk, monk seals stuffed animals at pinterest.com slash thecollectcall. Our parent organization is the Acts 8 Moment online at acts8moment.org or on Facebook or Twitter at acts8moment. That's the number eight. Dave, where can our listeners find you? I'm on Instagram. My uh, name there is Father Whiskers. 
And uh, I'd also like to shout out the Brotherhood of St. Gregory website, which is at gregorians.org. And that is the Christian community, which I am uh, discerning with. And also the St. Gregory's Abbey website, which is, and every word in this is spelled out fully, stgregorys3rivers.org. That wonderful Benedictine monastery in Michigan. Y'all should totally go. I'm overdue for a visit. I don't think I've been there for like seven years. It's a powerful, powerful place. Our music is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence by Aaron DeVries, distributed under a Creative Commons license. Find more of Aaron's music at badgerland.bandcamp.com. And join us next week where we will be talking about the Collect for Labor Day. I hope it deals with barbecue. Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly-minded For with blessing in his hand Christ our God to earth descended Our full homage to demand That's fine. I'm perfectly happy to know you as a pulsating circle. (laughs) That's actually his spirit form.